Take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. Um, next four weeks after this morning, I'm going to do a series leading us up. Oh, that's right, the kids have got to go. <laughs> Y'all notice nobody had to tell them. They just said, that guy's standing up there. It's time for us to leave. Um, for the next four weeks, I'm going to do a series entitled Just Simply Spirit. And I want to preach a, a short series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, to the believer. And that's not something you hear talked about much, particularly in Baptist churches. But we're going to take a look at that, see what God has to say to us, and then obviously Easter will be special. But this morning, this, this is just a message out of my heart. That's all I can tell you. It's, it, it's kind of a, a message that comes out of some frustration of what I hear people say sometimes and a little bit of a frustration over the church in America, maybe. I hope you'll hear it right. I hope you'll receive it rightly. Uh, but it has to do with our attitude about God's house, about the church. You know, I hear people, and I get tired of hearing it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm about Jesus. I'm just not about the church. You realize you can't do that? You can't be about Jesus and not be about the church. In fact, let me just say this as bluntly as I can. You can't be right with Jesus and not be about the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus gave his life for the church. Jesus established the church. The church he's coming back for. And I realize that's spoken of as the church universal, but it's also spoken of in the sense of the church local. And today it seems maybe unprecedented times that people are making more and more and more excuses about why they don't go to God's house and why they won't go back to God's house. So I, um, I just, again, this is just out of my heart this morning, and I hope that you'll hear it. I, I will go ahead and tell you the first few minutes of the sermon is going to be a little negative. Don't, 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 don't turn me off. Just hang in there with me for a few minutes. I need to say that to get to the positive. I hope the last uh, hour and a half of the message will be positive and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll listen. And I hope, I hope when you walk out of here this morning, maybe you'll be a little bit more encouraged about doing this thing that we call church. That's at least my goal. Our text this morning is Psalm uh, 122. Obviously, in the Old Testament, it's speaking of uh, the temple. It's speaking of the house of God in Jerusalem. On this side of the cross, we know that it's speaking of the church, and it certainly, uh, same truths can apply here, so that's how we will see it. Uh, so if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word, I'll read our verses out loud, and you follow along there in your copy of the Bible. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together to which the tribes go up and even the tribes of the Lord in ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord for their thrones were set for judgment the thrones of the house of David pray for the peace of Jerusalem may they prosper who love you may peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces for the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So, Lord, take your word, speak it to our heart, 
both encourage us, correct us. May we hear it. May we receive it. May we find ourselves not being just hearers of your word only, but may we also be doers of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Psalm 122 is one of several psalms in the book of Psalms that we call envelope or envelope psalms. And the reason they're called that is because they start with the same subject, with the subject and end with that same subject. And in between the beginning and the end verse, it deals with the, whatever the topic might be. Uh, Psalm 122 speaks of God's house, the house of the Lord. It speaks of God's house in verse 1. It speaks of God's house in verse 9. And as we looked two weeks ago in our study of Psalm 61, uh, this psalm was also written to be sung in God's house. It was to be sung as a worship song in, with the people of God in Old Testament times. It was a song about Jerusalem, about the temple, and again, it was written to be sung by God's people. It's that first verse that I want to focus on and really to use more as a springboard this morning for what I want to share with you. David writes, and he says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. So I want to begin this morning by asking you a very simple question. When it's time for you to go to God's house, when it's time for you to go to the house of the Lord, when it's time for you to go to church, do you do so with gladness, with gladness of heart? What the psalmist did, and obviously those he was writing to and writing about, were delighted to be able to go to God's house. They were glad when it was said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Well, I have to be honest with you. I just don't see quite that attitude in much of our culture today here in America. Though it certainly would be the attitude of most of you here. I do realize this morning, to some extent, I'm preaching to the choir. N not literally, but yeah, y'all, I'll get y'all too. Uh, but I, I realize you're here today. But there are people who are listening online. Some of them, by the way, are listening because they can't be here. They have physical reasons. They can't. I'm not talking about people there. there. There's a difference between people having a reason to not come and an excuse not to come. And those who have reason, I'm not talking to you this morning. So please don't send emails. Send them to Lee Chitwood if you send them. <laughs> uh, and say, I didn't like what that preacher had to say. Uh, don't get upset with me on that end. This is for those who make excuses. They don't have a reason. If you have a reason, that's between you and God. But their, the attitude today is anything but gladness. In fact, I, I read a, a stat the other day that absolutely blew my mind. And they were talking about, this was a survey that had been done about the religious nature in the United States. And it was asked, what would you define as regular attendance to church? And here it was. They said if they went once a month, they would consider themselves to be a regular attender. Really? Are you serious? Once a month? And you think that's being regular? David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. One more today. <laughs> oh, man, you mean it's Sunday again? 
I got to go to church again. Oh, well, I guess I better get up and go. They won't miss me this week. Let's, let's, just, let's just stay home. You know, let's, let's, let's don't go to church today. It's just too wet. Or the air conditioner is just too cold. Now, that's never been said here at First Baptist Church at noon, and I can promise you that. The preacher's just too loud. I don't want to go. Here's another one. The deacons are just too ugly. I'm not going to that church anymore. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Anything but gladness over getting to go to church. And then we're coming out of COVID. I, I realized COVID threw everybody a curveball. And for a while, all churches were affected by it greatly. And granted, we didn't know what to do. Nobody really knew what to do. And even as we began to figure it out, it was slow getting back for a lot of reasons and a lot of good illegitimate reasons. Sickness and still with the, with the virus being around as much as it was, it was hard for people to come back. Again, those who keep up with stats of the religious uh, nature in America tell us that between 25 to 30 percent, and this is across the board of, of Christian churches actually against uh, over the, across the board on all religious organizations in America, they say that 25 to 30 percent of those who came to church or to a religious meeting before COVID have not come back, and they added this caveat, they probably won't. 25 to 30 percent won't come back. Why? What happened? Did, did a disease steal your desire? We can, you can't blame that on COVID. Again, there may be some who still suffer from that and have to deal with it. I'm not talking about them. But there are a lot of people who just won't go back. It's a sad commentary on the condition of our churches. Um, I read, too, this past week, and this is kind of what kicked a lot of this off for me. I read an article that was written by Tom Rainer. Tom was uh, the head of our Sunday school board, Lifeway Ministries, for many, many years at Southern Baptist. Uh, Tom Rainer writes a lot still to this day, even though he's retired from Lifeway. He writes a lot about uh, church growth and principles of growth, and he, he does a lot of study of churches and trends in churches and all such as this. And the article that he wrote, I read it online on Facebook, it said this, or the title of it was, Four Key Attitudes That Are Killing Church Attendance Today. And I, I think he hit the nail on the head. Number one, the attitude that church membership is not biblical. In other words, people aren't going back to church today because they say it's not biblical. Well, I beg to argue, argue with you about that. I believe it is biblical. Now, you won't find the word membership in the Bible. But let me ask you a question. How many of you believe in the Trinity? Can I see your hand? All right. Can you show me the word Trinity in the Bible? It's not there, is it? The truth of the Trinity is there, but the word Trinity is not there. Uh, how many of you, and I know this could be a little bit of a question mark, depending on your eschatology. How many of you believe in the rapture? Well, I certainly do. And even those that would argue the timing of it would believe the rapture is going to happen somewhere along the way. Do you know you won't find the word rapture in the Bible? 
But I believe with all my heart, the truth of the rapture is in the Bible. You won't find the word membership in the Bible. But ladies and gentlemen, let me say to you this morning, the truth of membership is all over the Bible. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, and he clearly states the fact that we are members of Christ's body and we're, we're joined together with him. And while that certainly applies to the church universal, it's still over and over and over again, the New Testament speaks of the local church being committed to that local body of believers. We'll see more about that in just a moment. It's, it's a shame that some people equate church membership with country club membership. In some churches, we've made membership not to mean anything. In fact, it's easier to join a Baptist church in most places than it is to join your local country club. We've kind of downgraded and we've watered down the true meaning of biblical membership in a church. But it's in the Bible. God expects us to be members of a church. He expects us to be active members, faithful members of a local church. Second attitude, Dr. Rainer said, not only church membership is not biblical, the attitude, secondly, that we're part of a church that meets our need. In other words, there were one of the things that's killing attendance is this. People, people want to be in a church where it's all about me, my music. My style of preaching, my length of service, all, if, if, if it doesn't bless me, I don't go. I don't get anything out of it, some people say. Hey, folks, it's not about you. It's not about me. And if the church gets focused on me-ism, we're in trouble. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. It's about Jesus. It's about finding out what he wants. It's about lifting him up. It's about serving and honoring him. It's not about getting my needs met. I found out a long time ago, if I'm faithful serving as God's called me to serve, I'm going to get my needs met wherever I'm at. It's not about you. And that attitude's killing church attendance in our country today. The, th the third attitude, he said, when I first read this, when I had to go back and read his, his comment on it because I didn't quite understand what he meant. But after I read it, I said, amen, amen, and Amen. The statement said this, the attitude that church leaders are not held to a higher standard is causing church attendance to die. Now, what he went on to say in that article was this, we expect pastors, we expect a high standard out of our pastors, and if a church has a staff, you have standards that you expect from a pastor. You, you, you have standards you expect for your, from, for your next pastor. You should have standards, and he should, he should meet those standards. Same thing's true for your church staff. But what about the other leaders in the church? And that's the point he's making. If you've ever read Maxwell's, John Maxwell's Laws of Leadership, one of those laws is the law of the lid. And the law of the lid says this, a church will never rise, and you can apply this to any organization, a church will never rise to stay above the level of its commitment of its leadership. So if you have leaders in a church, 
that are not committed to faithfully serve and minister and be committed to be there, you can't expect your church to be committed. So if you got deacons that don't deek, you got Sunday school teachers that show up to teach Sunday school, they don't show up for nothing else. You got members that show up once a, once a month and they think they're regular. No wonder the church is in the mess that it's in. We're dying for lack of leadership and commitment in the church. And then the fourth thing he said that's causing the problem with church attendance in America is the attitude that expectation of faithful church attendance is legalistic. Ah, you expect me to be there, so I was just being legalistic. Legalistic. That's a buzzword today, isn't it? Hey, folks, there are there is the possibility that we can turn any admonition into a legalistic rule. We don't want to be legalistic. But folks, there's a difference between being legalistic and being committed. And you can't get away from the fact that the Scriptures teach that we're not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. That doesn't have anything to do with being legalistic. That has everything to do with being obedient. Okay, I'm through with my rant. I told y'all, first part, uh, you're going to think it's a little negative. Let me get to the good stuff. Can I do that? Thank you, I will. No, nobody said okay, but I just did, so I'm going to do it anyway. Back to one, Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to God's house to the house of the Lord. So here's my sermon this morning. I, I know you're going to faint when I tell you. Ten reasons. Ten. Why we ought to be glad to go to God's house. I promise you I'll do this in my time allotted. My time allotted, not your time allotted for me. Okay. I, really, I hope this blesses you. I hope it encourages you. And here, here are ten reasons why we ought to be glad to go to God's house, why we ought to be committed, and why it ought to be something worthwhile giving ourselves to. All right, here we go. Number one, I'm going to hear in your outline this morning, I'm going to give you one word, then I'll explain it. You couldn't write all these down uh, like I'm going to give it anyway. Reason number one, praise. Reason number one, praise. We should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because it is there that we can praise his Name. Yes, I know that we can and we are to praise God's name anytime, any place. We are admonished to do so. But folks, the Bible also makes it very, very clear that we are to praise God in the assembly of his people. We are to give God praise in the temple. We are to praise him in his house. We are to praise him in his church. Psalm 149 verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise, listen, his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Psalm 150 verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. And while I'm extremely for grateful for those times of private worship and praise where I've met the Lord on my own, some of the greatest times of worship that I've ever had the privilege of being a part of, it was done in God's house with God's people, 
when we as God's people gather together to praise his name, to lift his name, to give him glory and honor. There is nothing greater on this earth than uh, graduating or gathering with God's people to give him praise and glory. And by the way, you look at what we're going to be doing in heaven. You know what the scene is in heaven? A huge congregation made up of thousands and thousands and myriads of myriads who are gathered at the throne to give him worship and honor and glory together. There's just something special about worshiping God and praising his name in the sanctuary. Reason number two, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. We should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because there we can give thanks to him for his blessings. Same thing can be said as praise. It applies in the same way. When God's people gather, yes, we ought to be thankful individual. Yes, we ought to be thankful in private. But when we gather together as a church and we say to God, thank you for your blessings, there's just something special about that. Psalm 122 certainly implies that truth. The first four verses, I was glad when they said to me, let us, again, the congregation, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that is built as a city that is compact together to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord, in ordinance from Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Let us go up and give thanks to him. Psalm 95, two verses, verse 1, verse 6. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Five times in the plural, speaking of God's people together, coming together to God's house, to give him praise, but also to give him thanksgiving. We are best able to give God thanks when we do it as a congregation. Reason number three, why should I be glad to go to the house of the Lord? Prayer. Prayer. We should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because it is there that we can pray. Now, again, you can pray anywhere. That's the beauty of prayer. I don't have to be at God's house. I don't have to be any particular place. I can pray anywhere at all times. That is the beauty of prayer. But folks, again, there's just something special about gathering together as God's people to pray together. In fact, I'd go so far to say this, there is power in joining together with God's people to pray. Again, Psalm 122 uh, Three verses, six, seven, and eight. Again, the context, prayer. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they may prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say may peace be with you. I was glad to go to the house of the Lord. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. By the way, just for your information, you probably know this, there's only one city in the Bible that God tells us, in fact, he commands us to pray for specifically. It's not Noonan. It's not Atlanta, though certainly needs it. You know where it is? 
Jerusalem. I don't know why God, that is true. That's God's business. But that's his special city. And if you've ever been there, there's just something real special about that city. And if you've ever been in prayer in that city, there's just something about being there that I can't explain. The only thing I can say about it, it's just special to God. It's his special place. Pray for Jerusalem. But the context is God's people coming together to pray. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 18, verses 18 to 20. And by the way, he's speaking these words about the church. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that you may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst." He's here. He's here. Well, if you don't get anything out of this service today, know that you've been in the presence of Jesus. He's here. But prayer brings that about, the reality of that about. Luke 19, 46, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of what? Prayer. Acts 2, verse 42, the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking bread, to prayer. Paul, when he was giving instruction to young preacher Timothy, trying to help Timothy know how to be a, a good pastor, he writes in the second chapter of 1 Timothy, verse 1, he says to Timothy, first of all then, Timothy, I urge that entreaties, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. First order for the church is to pray, pray together. James 5, verses 13 to 16. We looked at these verses a few weeks ago when we were going through the book of James. The context of James 5 is in the church. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. If any among you are sick, then he must call for the elders of the church. The context of the church. He must call for the elders of the church and there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another in the context of the church and pray for one another in the context of the church that you might be healed. For the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So I'd be glad to go to the house of the Lord because of prayer. And all that that means, sir, I'll walk with the Lord. Fourthly, I'd give you the word fellowship. Why should we be glad to go to the house of the Lord for fellowship? We should be glad to go to the house of God because there we find true fellowship. Not only with God, but also with one another. That certainly is implied here in Psalm 122. But you see it in many other places in the Scripture. Again, those opening verses about the early church in Acts 2. Many have been saved. Christ has been resurrected from the grave. He has now ascended to the Father. His church has been established as far as the practical outworking of the church. Some 3,500 members were members of that first church there in Jerusalem. And in Acts 2, those latter verses of that second chapter, we have a description of what they did. Listen. 
They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals, here's the word, together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the fellowship of the church. Hey, you, you, don't, you don't find that out there in the world. Yes, you can have friends out there, but true fellowship that type of fellowship that cements two people together, that unites hearts and purpose, that only is found in the church. And we ought to be glad to go to God's house because it's there. We get to meet and fellowship with the people of God as we come together to worship God himself. There is no greater fellowship than that. Reason number five, I give you the word encouragement. Why should I be glad to go to God's house for encouragement? We should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because it is there that we find encouragement in our walk with Jesus. Um, Hebrews 10, I mentioned this a moment ago. I'm going to come back to this verse again in just a second. But Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 puts it as clearly as it can be put. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Listen, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouragement. You know, um, I look back at my walk with the Lord and I got thinking about this this past week because I don't even know what kicked it in mind, but I was... Uh, I was raised in the church. I didn't, get, I didn't get right to the Lord until after my senior year in high school. But my mom and dad were Christians. We went to church. That was not discussed at my house growing up, whether you were going to church or not. If you wanted a roof over your head, clothes on your back, and food to eat, you went to church. And mama made it real clear, and daddy did too. If you don't want that, when you get big enough, you don't want that anymore. You can't do that. It's time for you to move on out. So, I wasn't debated in my house. I went, but I can't tell you I was glad about it. I didn't go because I wanted to. I went because I had to. There's a difference. Some of y'all are here today because you had to. There's a difference. When I got right with Jesus, I mean, when, when God, God did such a drastic work in my heart, and again, that, I guess it's that movie that's come out here this last week that talks about the Jesus movement. I, I, was, I was a product of the Jesus movement. And I, I remember when I, when I met Jesus, and I mean I really met Jesus, and I understood who he was, and he, he changed my life. Um, do you know what happened? Nobody had to beg me to go to church no more. I mean, I wanted to go. It's not because I had to go. I wanted to go. I couldn't wait to get back to church. I, I couldn't wait to get around my brothers and sisters in Christ who encouraged me in my walk with God. And I think back of, of the many people now over these years 
that God's allowed the privilege to come make my life, to come across their path and how they impacted me, how they encouraged me, how they challenged me, how they corrected me at times in my walk with God. And thank God for men and women who encouraged me along the way. That's why we ought to be glad to go to church where you can come and find that kind of encouragement in my walk with God. And I would never be anywhere near where I am today if it was not for the encouragement I got from many faithful men and women of God over the years. Number, what number am I on? Six? I might have 15 now uh, after getting there. I'll do these last five quick. Fifth reason, truth. Truth. We should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because it is there that we find truth being presented. Now, I want you to hang with me on this one a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to speak as forthrightly about this as I possibly can. I am well aware that this is not the case in all churches today, but it should be. In fact, uh, though it is the responsibility of every individual believer to make sure they are being presented truth. There are a lot of churches today that are not doing that. There are too many churches in our culture today whose so-called pastor will stand up and tell sweet little feel-good cotton candy stories. They may have a psychobabble pep talk for you, but they don't speak truth. Can I tell you this morning, and can I say to you, and if you're listening online and you go to one of those churches, let me just say to you, get out of it. Leave it. Go where God's truth is being presented. Go where you get fed the truth. That's what the church ought to be doing. And by the way, the church has a responsibility to teach and share and uphold the truth of God. Again, Paul writing to young preacher Timothy about his responsibility as a pastor and as a church leader. He says in 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. And then describing that, which is the church of the living God. And notice what he says now, it is the pillar and the support of truth. Hey, God's given the church the privilege and the responsibility to be the upholder of truth. First of all, truth is a person. His name is Jesus. There is no truth apart from him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to uphold Jesus. But folks, we also have the responsibility of upholding the truth of God. God declares in his word, his word is truth. My primary responsibility as a pastor. My most important responsibility as a pastor is to say to God's people, thus saith the Lord. This is what God's Word says. This is how you need to apply it to your life. And if that's not happening where you are, you don't need to be there. Find somewhere where it will happen. And Number one, and your pulpit committee knows this, you know this as a church. The most important, I know everybody and their brother here today has got an opinion about what your next pastor has got, got to be like coming in here. I know you want somebody who's at least as good looking as I am to be here as your pastor. That ain't going to happen. You understand that though, don't you? You know what the number one thing ought to be about 
that you're next pastor. I, I, I really don't care about anything else. This ought to be number one. If he misses this thing, he's missed everything. Can he stand here and say to you as a congregation, thus says the Lord. And if he can't do that, you don't need him. I don't care who he is. All right, I got two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Seven. Seven, why should I be glad? Knowledge. Knowledge. We should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because it is there that we learn more about God and his ways. Again, I'm so thankful for men and women that God's allowed across my path in churches that have helped me understand better about God. Hey, I've learned a lot over the years. I still got a long ways to go. But I think back, some of my Sunday school teachers as a small kid, even before I was right with Jesus, they helped teach me about Jesus. I, I think back to some of my RA leaders that made a profound impact in my life as I was coming through that program in my church. I think back to a youth director that probably didn't have a clue what he was doing, but yet he still loved us and he still taught us Jesus. And it made a great impact in my life. I could, I could stand here all morning long to talk about those that have helped me learn more about God. You need that. I need that. That's why I need to be in church. But folks, there's just something too about being with God's people in God's house where God reveals himself to us in deeper ways. In fact, I want to give you a verse. Isaiah 2 verse 3 says this, and many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. There's just something about being together where God comes and teaches us more about him. That's what I mean by knowledge. Number eight, we should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because of blessing. Because Thank y'all for that last song y'all sang. But you know what? We can, one of the great things about being a believer is that we can ask for God's favor and God's blessings anywhere, anytime. But do you know what? There's just something special about gathering together as God's people to ask for his favor. Listen to this verse, Zechariah, Zechariah the 8th chapter, verses 18 to 22. Then the word of the Lord of the hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feast for the house of Judah, so truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go. And he's talking about to God's house. Let us go to the house of the Lord at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of the harvest. I will also go. And then he says, so many people in mighty nations will come and seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. God is stirring in America right now. Revival fires are burning. I don't know why God has chosen to do that in our time. There's a sovereign aspect of it that defies human explanation. But I can tell you at least part of the reason for it. God's people all across this nation are coming together to entreat his favor upon this land. 
because we know if God does not show us his favor, we're sunk. We're desperate. We need him. So all across our land, God's people coming together, asking God for his favor. And it seems to me God's beginning to pour that out upon this nation in a new way. Seventhly, I mean, ninthly, we need, uh, we should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because of salvation. Salvation. And what I mean by that, it is there at God's house that we get to see God adding to his church those who are being saved. Now, he saves people all the time elsewhere. You don't have to be in this church building to get saved. You know that. I know that. But church, isn't it exciting to see somebody who comes forward on Sunday morning to profess their faith in Jesus, to tell you as a church family, hey, listen, this week I, I was confronted with the truth of Christ. I prayed. I bowed my heart, bowed my knee. I called upon the name of the Lord. I gave my life to Jesus, and God saved me. Isn't there just something about rejoicing with those who get saved? We get to see that at church. We get, to watch, we get to watch here at our church. It's back here. It's different different churches. We get to watch those who've made profession of faith walk through the waters of baptism. We know baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is an outward identification of our salvation. It's one way we have a confessing our faith in Jesus. We get to see that at church. You don't get to see that everywhere else. We get to rejoice with those who've been saved. Hey, all heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. It's part of what the purpose of the church is. And when we see that week in and week out, we get to rejoice in what God is doing in our presence. Because that's only a work God can do. Lastly, this morning, we need to be glad to go to the house of the Lord because of obedience. Because of obedience. In other words, we should be glad to go to the house of the Lord because by going there, we're able to obey the command of the Lord. One last thing I'm praying. Going to church is not a suggestion. Gathering together as the church is not something good you ought to do. You've been commanded. You've been commanded. Again, Hebrews 10 verse 25 not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not forsaking our own assembling together. Do you realize this morning as a believer in Jesus you have Two choices about going to church. You can obey God or you can disobey Him. That's the only choice you got. It's that simple. Somebody asked Dr. Vance Havner one time, he said, Can a person be a Christian without going to church? He said, Certainly, but there'll be a sorry one. He's absolutely right. You know why he'd say that? Because, folks, you can't disobey a command of God and walk faithfully with God. You can't disobey God and expect his favor. You can't disobey God and expect him to bless you. You cannot disobey God and expect him to be working mightily in your life. He only does that to those who walk in obedience to his command.
Again, this is not a suggestion. It is a command that must be obeyed. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I hope you can say that. I really do. And if you can't say that today, I hope you repent. I hope you get right. You can get mad at me if you want to. Like I said, send the letters to Lee. Send them to me. That's all right. But I hope you've heard this morning what God expects from us. We ought to be glad. What a privilege it is. And for those of you who are not members here, if you go to another church, I hope you, hope you apply this to your church where you're at. But you, you, ought, you ought to be thrilled to death to be a part of this church family. So thrilled you're committed. So thrilled you serve. So thrilled you don't show up once every three months. You're here faithfully. So thrilled you want God to use you because you see what he's doing in his church here in this particular body of Christ. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for, thank you for the church this morning. Oh, Lord, we have, we have, we have so discounted the church in so many ways in our culture today. It's a shame. Lord, no church is perfect. This church is not perfect. No human church ever will be. But Lord, it's still a privilege to be a part of that. You work in your church. You work through your church. You died for your church. Oh God, may we be men and women and boys and girls who are faithful not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. May we be like the early church that gave themselves day in and day out to serve faithfully through the church as we see the kingdom of God being brought about where we live and where we work and what we do. Lord, help us to be people who delight in being a part of your body, who take it serious. Lord, may we rejoice in what we get to see you do through your body the church. Lord, for that person that's here today who's never come to personal faith in you, I pray this morning that they will come to Jesus today. Maybe as they've sat here today and listened to your word, maybe they've sensed through a singing of a song, maybe even through the fellowship that's happened in this building today, they've sensed something different. And even now, your Holy Spirit is knocking on their heart's door, convicting them of their sin, convincing them of the Savior. Lord, I pray today you'll call them to yourself. I pray today they'll come to personal faith in the living Jesus. Lord, they'll walk out of here a changed person with the promise of eternal life. And then, Lord, for those of us who claim to be your children, may we all so love your church that we give ourselves to that which you love. And, Lord, for those who don't this morning, I pray that you'll stir their heart to bring them to repentance. Lord, so that you can work in their lives once again to be committed to what you want them to be committed to. Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. And even now as we respond, may we do so to your namesake. And for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning?